0: Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob and reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. Now this message is from a collection of Spurgeon sermons. It was created by Perry Boardman. It's known as Spurgeon's Gems. It's at spurgeongems.com. And today's message is from volume 1, number 47. We're on part 2, the final part Of this message, it's Roman numeral four. The practical lesson that we learn from this part of the text, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, is this that we never have any encouragement peevishly to ask God to let us die. Christians are always wanting to die when they have trouble or trial. You ask them why? Well, because we want to be with the Lord. Oh, yes. They want to be with the Lord when troubles and temptations come upon them. But it is not because they are too panting to be with the Lord, it's because they desire to get rid of their troubles. Else they would not want to die at all times when a little vexation is upon them. They want to get home, not so much for the Savior's company as to get out of the little hard work. They did not wish to go away when they were in quiet and prosperity. Like lazy fellows, as most of us are, when we get into a a little labor, we beg to go home. It's quite right sometimes that you should desire to depart, because you would not prove yourself to be a true Israelite if you did not want to go to Jerusalem. You may pray to be taken home out of the world, but Christ will not take up the petition. When your prayers come to the Lord, this little one may try to get amongst them, but Christ will say, I I do not know anything about you. (laughs) I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. You may wish it uh, sincerely and, and really desire it, but you will not at present get your master to pray with you. Instead then of crying or wishing to be away from the battle, brace yourself up in the name of the Lord. Think every wish to escape the fight is but a desertion of your master. Do not so much as think of rest, but remember that though you may cry, let me retire into the tent, you will not be admitted until you return a victor. Therefore stop here and work and labor. My dear friends, I had intended to preach from the other half of the verse, but now, that's quite impossible. The time is so far gone, and I can only manage the first part thereof. So, I must depart from my original intention, and I will restrict myself to some thoughts which occur to me upon the first portion of our text. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. Perhaps tomorrow you'll be saying, I'm very sorry Sabbath day is over. I'm obliged to go to business again. I wish it were always Sunday that I might attend to my preaching or, or to the schools or to the prayer meeting or to the tract distributing. Uh, no obstructions of the world afflict me there. No vexations of the Spirit occur there. Uh, I am sick of the world. Oh, if I could never go into it again. Uh, let me jog your elbow a bit. Does Jesus think so? Listen to him. I pray not that you should take them out of the world. There is no remedy for the ill, if it is an ill. Therefore, endure it with becoming fortitude. Yes, rather, seek to improve the opportunity thus afforded you of conferring a blessing upon your race and of gaining advantages for yourselves. The pious mind will know how to improve the very sight of sin to its own sanctification. It will learn humility when it remembers that restraining grace alone prevents a similar fault in itself. It will gather subjects for gratitude and admiration from the fact that that grace alone has made it to differ. Never shall we value grace so much as when we see the evil from which it delivers us. Never shall we more abhor sin than when we discern its visible deformity. Bad society is in itself like the poisonous cassava, but if baked in the fire of grace, it may even be rendered useful. True grace casts salt into the poisonous stream, And then, when forced to ford it, the filth thereof is destroyed. Abide then, O soldier, in the trenches of labor and battle, for the hardness of service is beneficial to you. But remember, while here, that you lose no opportunity of attacking the foe. Never miss an opportunity of having a shot at the devil. Be ready on all occasions to do mischief to the enemy. In business, Drop a word of savor and unction. In company, turn the conversation heavenward. In private, wrestle at the throne. I do not advise you to intrude religion at unseasonable hours. I do not conceive it to be your duty when a customer calls to pay a bill to ask him into your office and spend half an hour in prayer with him. Nor would I think it necessary to sanctify your ribbons and shawls by exhorting the purchasers across the counter. Some have not been quite innocent of the charge of cant who who make as much use of religion to attract customers as they do of their plate glass window. Do not talk of religion to be heard of men. But when a fair opportunity offers... Out with your rifle and take a steady aim. Cromwell's singular advice to his soldiers was, Trust in God, my friends, and keep your powder dry. In a better sense, this is mine. Uh, More than all, keep up a continual fire on the enemy by a holy life. Nothing will more reprove sin than your holiness. If you cannot tell the stick it is crooked... You can prove it to be so by laying a straight one side by side with it. And so put your purity before the impure and they will be effectually reproved. Well then again, do not be afraid to go out into the world to do good. Christ is keeping you in the world for the advantage of your fellow man. I am sometimes wicked enough to think that I would rather go anywhere than stand up again and preach my master's gospel. Like Jonah, I have thought I would really pay my fare to be carried away to Tarshish instead of coming back to Nineveh. So would some of you who have tried to preach and found you could not succeed as you desired. But do not be downhearted, my brother. A Christian should never get so. If you have but one listener today, perhaps the next time the number will be doubled and so on until they cannot be counted. Never say, I wish to go out of this world. Do not murmur, my life is prolonged beyond my joys. Do what you can. Do not go amongst people with fear. Do not be ashamed to look duty in the face. If you are not successful at first, do not be cowards and run away from your guns. We should do all we can to bring our guns into line with our brothers and take good aim at our foes. Never desert your work. Though you come home distressed in spirit, though you see no gleam of success, and nothing is gained, recollect you cannot run out of the battle, but you must go on, and you cannot escape the service. On then, and glory shall be yours. Now, my brethren, what what bearing has this text upon the ungodly? And there are some here, my dear friends of whom I have sometimes thought that I could almost pray that God should take them out of the world, and I can tell you why. They are so wicked, so dreadfully wicked, such hardened reprobates with such iron souls that they seem as if they never would be turned to God and whose portion it would appear to be damned themselves and to lead others to the same condition. I know a village where there is a man so vicious, so abandoned, that I could almost pray for him to be removed out of the world. He is so awfully wicked that many of those I thought hopeful Christians have been poisoned by his example. Indeed, he seems to be depraving the entire population. He stands like a a dreadly upas tree with outspread branches overshadowing the whole place. He's consuming all around him, and instead of it being a mercy for him to be here, it would be like a mercy If he were gone. Well, are not some of you like that man? Are you not so bad that you're doing all the mischief in the world you can? You never do anything for the cause of Christ. You're always trying to do your utmost against it. You never sow a little blade of God's grass where none grew before. You are of no service and yet you are spared because Jesus says, I pray not that you should take them out of the world. He prays that you may be in the world a little longer. And what has he preserved you from? First, fever comes and bows you down. But Christ says, let him not depart yet, spare him now. And you are spared. The second time, disease comes near you and great pains bow you down. And again, he prays, spare him and you are yet safe. The third time, you are fast approaching your end and now the angel of death is lifting up the glittering steel and his axe is almost fallen on you and yet Christ says, spare him, angel, spare him. Peradventure he may yet turn to me with full purpose of heart. He whom you hate loved you so much that he interceded for you and therefore you were spared till now. Remember, however, that this reprieve will not continue forever. At last, justice will cry, Cut him down! He cumbers the ground. Some of you have been cumbering the ground for sixty or seventy years. Old sinners, of no use in this world. Is it so? There you are, occupying the ground, keeping other trees from growing, and of no use, your family is being damned by your example. The whole neighborhood is tainted by you. Do not tell me I should not speak so roughly. I tell you, as long as I have a tongue in my head, you shall have no mince meat from me. If you are lost, it shall not be for want of plain speaking and honest warning. Oh, you cumbergrounds! How much digging and dunging have you received at the Lord's hand, and yet you are fruitless. The axe will soon be at your root, and, oh, the fire into which you shall be cast. Ungodly man, you are spared until your overflowing cup of sin is dropping like oil upon the flame of vengeance, and the increasing fire will presently reach you. The longer the archer draws the bow, the more mighty is the force of the arrow. What though vengeance tarries, it is that its sword may be sharpened and its arm nerved for dire execution, O, you gray heads! A little more delay, and the stroke shall fall. Tremble and kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. And yet, methinks some of you who have cumbered the ground do most heartily desire to serve God. Poor sinner, I rejoice that you feel that you have been a cumber ground. Do you confess that you have been a poor thorn and briar until now? Do you acknowledge that the Lord has been just to you, if he had damned you? Then come as you are, and cast yourself on Jesus, without works, without merit. Will you ask the Lord to turn you into a good fig tree? If you will, he will do it, for he declares that he hears prayer. There was once a poor man in a small country town, who had not all the sense people usually have, uh, but he had sense enough to be a great drunkard and swearer. As God would have it, he once listened to a poor woman who was singing. She was singing, I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. Home he went, repeating these words, and he put his trust in a crucified Savior and was really converted. Well, he soon came to church. And although he was a peddler and always traveling about, he said, I want to join your church. Well, they, uh, remembering his sinful way of life, required some great evidence of a change before they received him. Oh, he says, I I must come in. Ah, but you've been such a great sinner, and, and you are unconverted, added the elders. Well, said poor Jack, I don't know if I'm unconverted and and, and I confess, I am a great sinner, but, but I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. The words of the woman. They could not get from him any other testimony save this. He would only say, I'm a poor sinner, nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. They could not refuse him and therefore accepted him for fellowship. After this, he was always happy. When a Christian said to him, But you always seem so happy and pleased, Jack. How is it? Well, said he, I ought to be happy, for for. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. But Jesus Christ is my all in all. Well, but, uh, said the gentleman, I, I, I can't see how you can be always so happy and sure. I, I sometimes lose my evidences. I don't, said Jack. I'm a poor sinner, and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. Ah, said a friend, uh, I am at times miserable, because I, I remember my sad sinfulness, even since conversion. Ah, said Jack, you have not begun to sing, I'm a poor sinner, and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. Oh, said the friend, how do you get rid of your doubts and fears? My faith frequently fails and I miss my sure hope in Christ. My frames are so variable and feelings so contrary. What do you think of that? Think, said poor Jack. Why, Master, I I have no good things to care about. I am a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my... All and all. Well then, if there's anyone here who is a poor sinner and nothing at all, where is he? In the gallery or sitting down below? If he cannot say all that poor man said, if he can say just the first line, he need not fear to say the second. Never mind if he can't say, Jesus Christ is my all and all. If he can just say, I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, well... He's most assuredly on the right road. Oh, but, says one, I I am sinful, vile, worthless. All right, you're a poor sinner and nothing at all. And Jesus Christ is willing to be your all in all. But I have blasphemed God, departed from his ways, and grievously I transgressed. Well, I believe all that and a great deal more, and I'm very glad to hear it. For thus I see you are a a poor sinner and nothing at all. I'm very glad if you will hold that opinion of yourself. Ah, but I'm afraid I've sinned too much. When I try, I cannot do anything. When I try to mend my ways, when I try to believe in Christ, I cannot. Well, we are glad, very glad of it, brother, uh, that you are a poor sinner and nothing at all. If you had a A single particle of goodness, if you had a little bit not big enough to cover the top of your little finger, we should not be glad. But if you're a poor sinner and nothing at all, Jesus Christ is your all in all. Come, will you have him? You are nothing at all. Will you have Christ? Here he stands. Ask. It is all he wants, for you are the object of his regard. There are only three steps. One is to step out of self. The second is to step upon Jesus. The third is to step into heaven. (laughs) You've taken one step. I'm sure you'll take the others. God never makes you feel you are a poor sinner and nothing at all, but sooner or later he gives Jesus Christ as your all in all. Oh, poor sinner. Do not be doubtful of my master's power. Do but touch the hem of his garment and you shall be made whole. Like the poor woman in the crowd, do but get at it and touch it, and he will surely say to you, you are saved. If you will go to him with this cry, I am a poor sinner and nothing at all, and Jesus Christ is my all in all, then you will see the blessed reason why Jesus interceded like this. I pray not that you should take them out of the world. Amen. Amen. Charles. Spurgeon. Thank you for listening. As I said, you can access this entire 63 volumes, hundreds and hundreds of sermons, written sermons of Charles Spurgeon by going to Spurgeon Gems. Don't put the S in there, Spurgeon's Gems. Just Spurgeon Gems, all one word, dot com. And you'll be amazed and, and rejoicing for a long time. Again, look at the website. We have over 3,400 audios that I'm sure, one of which will will bless you, another one at least. Uh, Do do look around. Well, This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the first day of March, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.